Shot Tower, the real NBA hype. <laughs> NBA Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Utsi, Kyle Stein, and Michael Kimball. We are here in week six of this NBA season. We have a lot of interesting things happening, but I thought we would first go back to our, our vigorous, raucous, what do we call it, discussion from last week about Cole Anthony. Uh, our group thread uh, was lit up, especially for me, I think, with some of Cole Anthony's accomplishments from last week. I think it's important to keep in mind, I really know nothing about basketball. These are all just my various impressions on these things. I've gotten Cole Anthony really wrong here. Um, if, if we believe that he may have turned a corner last week. He hit a game-winning three-pointer, and he had a great night. Or maybe it was last night. Was it last night he had a big night? Eight for 12. Um, his three-point percentage has moved up from 28 last week to 33, maybe almost 34 this week, something like that. Seeing a lot of improvement there. Is he is he Fred Van Vleeting this? Did he hit that game-winning shot, and that's going to change everything for him? Well, I don't know if he's Fred Van Vleeting because you need to, <laughs> you got to have a baby to do that. The Fred Van Vliet effect is all about the baby. All uh, right. The new fatherdom. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think we need to say that you don't know anything about <laughs> basketball or anything like that. I mean, I mean, he hit a game winner, which was very unexpected. Um, that was against Minnesota. I don't think he had a great shooting night uh, that night, but uh it was it wasn't great. Uh, and yeah. did, did you guys see the highlight of him hitting the shot? I uh, did. I did. Actually, that's what made me think that something uh, of this, you know, Van Vliet effect could happen was that you see Evan Fournier run up to him afterward. And my thought was uh, in, in, you know, like I think Aaron Gordon was in the mix, too. And I just had this impression that, you know, the young player had really earned you know sure. his keep there sure. and that like he was Everybody really was gaining attention to the yeah work, really gaining way. the respect <laughs> of the older players sure. and you know for some people that's just the kind of confidence boost that they need to become their best basketball selves and i yeah. kind of immediately thought he could be turning a corner here and then of course he has this big 20 point game afterward yeah. and um, eight for 12 four three pointers six three for something like it was it was you know good numbers yeah. across the board defensive stats too i think so here so here his uh shooting uh his field not his field goal percentage but his shooting so he was five out of seven against minnesota three out of seven against indiana six of 13 um I think that was Charlotte and then eight of 12. They played two games set with wow. Charlotte. So those are the yeah. past four games. So he's definitely finding a rhythm. He's obviously playing a lot more minutes with Markel Fultz out. He yeah. had 21, as you said, eight of 12 from the field, four or five from three, um, only one of three from the free throw line. So a bit odd, but I think he'll be fine overall. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's finding his footing. He's figuring things out. I mean, I think the three ball has to be encouraging. He's been shooting it well over the past couple games he was four or five in that That's game a big of, jump in the last week plus yeah two of four in the previous one one of one in the one before that three of three in the one before that two of five in the one before yeah. that so he's been he's been shooting the three better 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm like, it's way too early to take a victory lap. Obviously. <laughs> like he, could, he could go like eight of 36 over the next four games. I mean, I just, my point only was the entire time was that it looks like he fits in, in the NBA, NBA game. He yeah. has ability, you know, his quickness, I think impacts the game. It's real. He can get to the cup. Sometimes the finishes aren't there. Sometimes they're nice. He has these sort of high arcing, uh, scoop shots that work out um and he start if he's starting to make the three then obviously that's only going to help him get it, get to the basket more so yeah, yeah that two game set with charlotte was kind of like a happy place for me because labello's obviously in that game and so one of my players who i like one of my the young rookies that i like watching was hopefully gonna have a good game in that one yeah definitely and, and right cole anthony isn't always going to get the hornets on defense <laughs> for those games uh and um the other uh but i want to say i want to i do want to yeah. say uh you you like emmanuel quickly and i want to be clear that i'm not i'm not out on emmanuel <laughs> quickly or anything like that i think quickly has looked really good and he too i think had a good game recently i think he had a 30 point game recently yeah he had a 31 point game against portland where it just sort of came together and thibs left him in instead of taking him out uh and and yeah um, yeah and his floater i them. tweeted this out from our shot tower account I was his floater's nuts yeah his floater is really good like really really good one of the I, best floaters in the league i think it's it's because it's not just the the seven foot eight foot floater or the five foot floater he has a 15 foot floater have you seen i saw him take thing? a step back floater i saw him take a step back floater in a game i saw him like drive hard jump stop off two feet go up yeah quick. i've seen him do it leaning the wrong way I've yeah seen him do it, like really quick to kind of like go get ahead of the shot blocker so it's versatile and super effective like that's going to be there for him his, his entire career I, I see him penetrating to the free throw line and if that closes down I, that lean those various leaners you just described i've seen him take every variation from the free throw line and i i can't think of another player i've seen with the floater from there maybe rick barry used to do Lamello, it or ironically Lamello oh yeah okay deep uh floaters like his his is a bit more awkward i don't know if it's as versatile but he's so tall that it's kind of like almost a a leaning one-legged jump shot like yeah. he, he like goes up off one leg kind of leans forward two feet and lets it go it, releases is, is lamello go with those is lamello up with the ball with one hand like yeah. quickly is because it, it's fast it's, like it's, it's much not... less of a it's much less of a push shot quickly is very like you know he's pushing it out of his hand lamello's right. is more sort of like holding it one hand That's maybe like... two hand and the one the other hand comes off and then he kind of shoots it yeah the the ones with quickly remind maybe you did this as a, a player too like as a little kid one of the drills i used to do was you know you stood two feet three feet from the basket one hand no guide hand and you just shot the ball you yeah. know straight up and down straight and you moved back and you moved back and you made, and I, I felt like quickly was just running his drills in the middle of a game it was sort of yeah. an amazing thing to watch um, yeah no it's impressive it's impressive and yeah I want to say, you know, we're talking about young guys guys who are making an impact Casey Apollo got a few minutes I think um uh what do you like about him he's he's got length he's very long uh pretty good athlete he seems to have like a lot of the flip shots around the basket i think he's got two-way potential because of that length yeah. Yeah, uh, he definitely. should be able to get blocks and steals. He blocked the heck out of Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown had a back cut. He went up, 
uh, Akpala went up with two hands and just swatted it out of the air. So I just think, nice. you know, he's still not getting a ton of minutes. Uh, but I think that, like, if he does ever get a ton of minutes or if he can figure it out, you know, over the next couple of years, I think he should be able to make an impact. I don't know if he'll be fantasy relevant, you know, minutes – Minutes are king, uh, but maybe not this year. But but the, the potential, like. the, the yeah. potential is there. Definitely, definitely. So, can we talk about one other young yeah, player? I, I, and I, and I, maybe I, you take two... us to Cleveland, Kyle. Yeah, can you give me some advice? Um, I so in one of my other leagues, um, I've got some injury issues with Kawhi going out. You know, this week for I think that he and Patrick Beverly are expected to miss seven days um and so i had to put him on the il um and so it's got me a lot more active uh you know looking at free agents than i had been before and i noticed that somebody dropped darius garland um i've got a pretty stacked team in a 12 team league there and my question is should first of all should i be dropping um should i be dropping maybe zubats or um is this mason a 12 teamer yeah or mason plumley um how 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 good do we think that darius garland's going to be his steel numbers have fallen off since his injury which you know michael i know you pointed yeah. that out in the past that it ends up happening when people are when players are hobbled that they they don't put up the the defensive stats in the same way um and yeah, what, what do you think? What, what's this kind of sh- threshold for... I mean, when he went down with that injury, he was a top 20 player on the season oh, yeah. so far. Top 10, maybe, even? Yeah, it was I crazy. can't even remember. Like, he was playing incredibly well. I'm looking at, like, he's just... Uh, looks like he's three games back. And you're right, none of the, the steal... Well, one block in one of the three games. Um, his other numbers look decent, though. He's getting the assists... Um, I have to believe those steel numbers will come back at least a little bit. And I think he has great potential. Uh, I can't remember if that's a keeper league for you or not, but if he's at all cheap, that seals it. Um, But I think you would be picking him up over Zubac at the very least, the one of the lowest rebounding rate centers in the league. Yeah, I think I'm probably um, I think I'm probably punting field goal percentage too, which is Zubac. Then you uh, really don't. Major. You're not getting much out of him at yeah. all. Um, uh, I, I actually, would stick with Plumley because he's definitely filling out the more categories he's getting assists and steals. yeah it's kind of a longer term question too because the whole point of bringing up Kawhi is i've got both Kawhi and al horford on the bent on the il right now right and so i've got you know i'll have real choices to make of whether i drop like james wiseman or mason Plumley or darius garland or these players i mean i guess i have some time to figure these things out if i drop zubats in the in the meantime uh i mean in a 12 teamer i don't think you really lose anything dropping zubat at any point in a season you're always going to pick up a guy who's zubat level replacement like yeah. that guy always exists so yeah that's i wouldn't a good worry point. about that i'd be picking up the guy with upside uh, I love what Darius Garland did in the off season, whatever it was, because he came back just a lot more aggressive. And I saw some of that in the very, I, I watched part of the LA game with the Lakers and I saw that coming back for him. I, I, I like his upside the rest of the season. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go at the number two waiver wire priority think, for him. Think, and I'm going like to give Garland it a try. This year? 
Um, I haven't really watched the Cavs much, so I feel like I don't really have any thoughts on Garland. But I mean, it did. This did remind me of a question that I had for you all about the waiver wire in our primary league or my primary league, my only league, the scorekeeper league, which is a 14 team league. And we made the change to move to three IL spots um, and we upped the moves uh, available for per week to 10. So I feel like there's kind of hasn't been a reckoning with value or there has, but basically I feel (laughs) like there's a lot of people on the waiver wire right now who are pretty good, but because of injuries and postponements and things like that, um, you know, like pretty much everyone from the Grizzlies on the waiver right, right, <laughs> right. now is good. Like Xavier Tillman, Thomas um, and, Jones, Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, like all of those guys are out there. Um, but even someone like Thad Young, I think is pretty good value. Like I, yeah. and, and like, um, I think Michael, you dropped, uh, Miles Bridges who was quickly right. picked up, but like, I didn't pick him up because, Gallinari was recently coming back from injury and I like I basically haven't had a chance to see him play at all this right. year he's only played in a couple games I was like oh do I want to immediately drop him from Miles Bridges but I just think do, the, re- yeah. the result of like the chaoticness and you know the fact that the season is being played during a pandemic and there's all these injuries and postponements means uh, people are having to drop people that they wouldn't normally drop Definitely. and people are choosing not to pick up people that they would normally pick up. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting, I've been getting crushed with some of the postponements and then small injuries where I couldn't move guys to IL, but they're out most of the week, some of that sort of stuff. And I think, and other people are experiencing that in different ways, as as you noted, I think it's creating a lot of different kinds of value on the wire. We have a lot more intermittent value, which, you know, at some point, I think 12 of the Grizzlies were on teams and scorekeeper just because of that. Uh, But those guys were providing value um it's hard to know how that shakes out after this it's hard to know how those values shake out every time a team like memphis for instance comes or washington we're seeing it with the wizards too there's going to be a point where they come back from this and all of those guys are playing again like we it's really difficult i think to predict how that's going to shake out in terms of minutes well that's Uh, i mean jalen you probably have lots of things to say about d'anthony melton right yeah, I mean, I kind of want to, like, I was going to ask you all if I'm crazy. I basically dropped DeAnthony Melton because I think Jay Sean Tate is my new DeAnthony Melton. Like, I think <laughs> nice. Jay Sean nice. Tate, I think he blocked six shots last week um, and had five steals. Like, he blocked three shots in, a, in two separate games, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, you know, I lost steals last week and I didn't play him one game. I might have won steals if I had played him in that game. So he's giving me defensive stats. Um, neither one of them shoots from the free throw line very well, but Tate shoots better and Tate shoots better from right. the field. So um, and if there's ever a game again uh, where John Wall is out and Eric Gordon is out, he had 10 assists in a game that they both missed. So like. You know, if those guys aren't there, he can take up more of the playmaking load as well. So I just felt like he was more reliable and better fit my build because of the better shooting percentages. So I was just kind of like, you know, I have to drop him. And this also weird thing I tweeted about this, where it seems like um, Taylor Jenkins is not the biggest fan of DeAnthony Melton. Like he got a couple DMPs uh, last week, like two DMPs or something. 
um and i'm just like what happened <laughs> like what's going on yeah here? And, and apparently jenkins said he uh and i believe the quote was something like i just wanted to try something a little different and it sounded like a kind of death knell for melton's <laughs> minutes um it, yeah. it's hard to make sense of because i know when that trade happened you know the the the, the subtext wasn't the the picks they were getting back um it was that they really wanted melton at that point and that wasn't that long ago taylor jenkins was still in the organization it's hard to believe he's soured on that player already but um it's hard to know. There are a lot of young guys playing really well there in Memphis, so that could shake out any number of ways. Jalen, can I ask you a little bit about how you you sort of deal with small sample size? Um, when you were mentioning that Jayshon Tate had that many blocks in a short span of games, mm-hmm. it made me want to see how it played out for the rest of the season he does seem to get blocks pretty regularly um for young players i usually also look back at prior seasons um we don't have a lot of data on him for that so i went back to his college career um he you know college games are um they're shorter and you know he was getting fewer minutes um although maybe not so much in his last two years at ohio state he's you know averaging you know 32 and 30 minutes a game um but he, he never averaged more than 0.6 blocks. Um, do you think that it's something that he's able to, you know, ramp up in the NBA and elevate and sort of like carry forward with this? I mean, you obviously aren't expecting him to really get 2.5 blocks per game, sort of like, you know, Miles Turner or, or you know, Clint Capella or, you know, Rudy Gobert like numbers. But um no, might, I'm not. But uh, you might think Nelson, that he can tick up to one block a game, or yeah. But also, like I'm, I'm thinking about it in the context of who I'm replacing or who he's replacing. You know, DeAnthony right. Melton is sort of a steel maven. One point four steals his first year, and then one point three the following two years, and then point five, and then point three blocks, and then he's sort of benefiting from the small sample size this year. He has point nine blocks in a season. So I just figured, like, if I'm if I, if the swap is Tate over Melton, then I don't need him to be like, you know, obviously I don't need him to be miles Turner. I just need him to kind of approximate the Anthony right. Melton steal and block rate. And so he might not get as many steals as Melton. He seems to be more of a block than a steal guy, but I just figured like, it, he's just doing a little bit more of everything. And more importantly, like the biggest thing was just that he's going to play like his, his, a low minute total for him is like 19 minutes, a low minute total for D'Anthony Melton might be like 12 or 10. Well, no, you got a DNPCD. Yeah. So like, so I'm just, I'm just like, even if he just plays like just him playing, will will do good things and he'll be able to kind of like walk into those numbers, even if he's not as like elite at them on a per minute basis. It does seem as if his floor for minutes will continue to be higher than Melton's just because of the situation there, even with other players coming back, other guys getting healthy or Kevin Porter Jr. getting into the mix there. Um, It looks like they're still going to play Tate and he'll probably still get more minutes than Melton. And the other thing I would say here is I think it's, you know, it's smart generally to pick the player that fits your build better. Um, 
in most cases, even if there's a slightly better player out there in sort of overall value. Um, yeah, and I should say, like, this is on the last thing of this Tate and Melton thing. I I tried everything I could, or maybe not everything I could. I, I didn't offer some trades because I thought people would just immediately reject them, which they rejected the ones I offered anyways. So not wrongly, I <laughs> should say. It's, like It's the nature of the league. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like, I'm not complaining about yeah. Like, they probably made the right decision for their teams. But, like, I offered DeAnthony Melton and Gallinari for – uh, for Seth Curry, for Duncan Robinson, and for Dante DiVincenzo. That's two separate owners, not three. I think right. Del Lobo and then I forget who DiVincenzo, which team DiVincenzo is on. But uh, yeah. Sham Gods, I think. Yeah. So what what would you all think of those trades? Were they wins for me, wins for the other team that they shouldn't have passed up? I think when you made them, they were probably pretty reasonable, relatively fair trades, and it would just depend on fit. Um, I never would have predicted Melton getting that DNP. Like, yeah. I, I, I just never saw that coming. I only saw upside for him. So this it's a, it's a bit of a surprise to see the situation he's in. Yeah. And I don't think those are bad offers. I think, you know, most managers sort of favor or value their own players more highly than they should objectively. And I think it just creates that sort of schism that makes it easy yeah. to turn down lots of trades. So, yeah. And in yeah. fairness, like it's bad timing, you know, Gallinari is just coming back from injury and right. that kind of scared the, people. The Memphis Grizzlies are like never going to play a game again, apparently. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is for scorekeeper and it's a league that mostly remembers Gallinari as an injured player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Um, other young players starting to make things happen. I think we also need to talk about Michael Porter Jr. in Denver, maybe. Jalen, do you want to take that one? I know yeah, he's on totally. Your... Um, yeah. This is the uh, Shot Tower pod, the real NBA slash fantasy NBA podcast, <laughs> hybrid podcast. And Michael Porter Jr. is the epitome of that. Uh, hybridness like Michael Porter yeah. Jr. is I think the platonic ideal of a fantasy <laughs> basketball player outside of someone like James Harden in a, his most efficient seasons because it's a situation where Michael Porter Jr. has real flaws but he also has such strong strengths uh, that his coach you know his dyed in the wool old ball coach eat what you kill you get the minutes that you own get the but minutes you that you earn, earn coach. <laughs> yeah. He can't play, he can't not play him, right? He would be derelict in his duties to not play Michael Porter Jr. So like right. he, he can't not play him. And then in the minutes that he does play, Michael Porter Jr.'s skill set is such that he's so long, he's so tall, he has such a good jump shot that he just stumbles into efficient stats. Like he's <laughs> shooting like I think 45% from three so far this year. He's averaging a block and a steal a game. Like he's just and he's not some he's not some like defensive stalwart. He's not a great defender. He's not a great team defender, but he's just if he's out there, stuff is happening. He's around yeah. the basket. He yeah. likes to hang around the basket. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's cutting to and scoring like and he has real flaws. You know, I was like trying to write a piece on him and I was like, 
Michael Porter Jr. right now is maybe what KD would be like if he was incapable of hinging at the hips. Um, <laughs> and like, maybe that's too harsh. I don't know. But like, honestly, before like to the, see, though. before like the past couple games, like I think I had seen Michael Porter Jr. really sprint like a handful of times in his entire NBA career. He right. kind of languidly moves around most of the time. But like, you know, he's shown a bit more recently. And I just think, Again, even when he's languidly moving around, he's still putting up 30 and 10 on random nights or like 15 in 14 minutes. Like it's just, he's just efficient. Right, right. Yeah, he's he's been incredible there. Um, I was suspicious of his his, uh, chances at improvement just because of the way I saw him move out there. and so it's interesting to see, and I think you described it well, just him being active out there. Like if he's out there, he's active, whatever it is. He's not the quickest guy in the world. He's not the most explosive, but it still all works. It still all happens. It's still, um, and yeah, um, yeah. you know, he's, put the, he's, he's the perfect put... player to watch just in a real game. But also if you have him on your fantasy team, it's a wonderful stat line to look at. Yeah. It's like, like people, people have said this online that like the experience of watching him is just, it's, it's wild. You know, it's this, we talked about vagaries of the, of the waiver wire last week, you know, the the variance of Michael Porter Jr.'s play on either end of the floor is something uh, that you rarely see. He'll go from fouling James Harden on a three pointer to like cashing a three himself, or he'll go from just completely losing his man and failing to close out to dunking on someone like, you know, he, the, the nuggets played the Suns twice recently over the weekend, both games, uh, which I think they won both of them. Uh, I know they won the double overtime one. I can't remember if they won the second one. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, he took, uh, it was Mike, Mikael Bridges was guarding him. He jab stepped Mikael Bridges and drove by him for a dunk out of nowhere. Like, I'm not saying he's doing this every time down the floor or anything, but like, he definitely shows those flashes and, Again, he's just that's a good defender. I mean, that's a yeah. seriously good defender. He did that with. Are there other things you're seeing in Denver that's that's making this push? I mean, they've been playing very good basketball as a team. Um, other elements there that are. I mean, working? I'll say I'll say he has had good quotes in the media. You know. Um, <laughs> Like, which is not a given with him based on yeah. his like recent history in the playoffs where he was demanding shots um, in right. his first playoff series as a rookie, which is like completely <laughs> non-advisable. A little tone deaf, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, obviously he was out for a while because he was in health and safety protocols, which uh, Brian Windhorst flat out said he got COVID for the second time. So that's right. not good. It's not good right. that he got COVID for the second time, maybe. And I don't want to speculate about how seriously he was taking it even though he's made comments before that would suggest maybe he wasn't taking it as seriously as he should have. But, you know, since he's come back, he's, he's seen, he's like, I'm not only focused on scoring. I want to be a complete player. I want to win. You know, he said, I have good chemistry with the second unit. So uh, in a weird way, him being in the second unit and sort of playing nice will probably lead to more playing time for him rather than sort of, you know, demanding shots and putting up shots all the time. So, it seems like he's starting to find his place in the yeah. team and the organization, and that can only bode well. Definitely. I had wondered for a while if they were really missing Jeremy Grant, which caught me a little by surprise. So I'm glad to see them coming together. Kyle, I know you're, um, you, you've been watching Jeremy Grant closely, uh, if only because he's doing great things for your scorekeeper fantasy team. Uh, any thoughts on his development? Um, 
you know, going to Detroit to be not the fourth or fifth option, but at least maybe the second or third. How I do mean, you see yeah. to, as a follow-up to the discussion of the Nuggets, I mean, you just have to think that they regret letting him go. That uh, yeah, that sure. you probably needed to tell him whatever he needed to hear. <laughs> to to make him. <laughs> yes, you will be the second option. <laughs> yes, you will. Right. They, they, they didn't need this level I don't of think offense. They, they I don't just think they could have got to, him to stay, though. I, I, I know. I know. I know. I, I, I don't. You're you're right. I, you know, I'm good I, on Jeremy for betting on himself here. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to play in counterfactual. one I didn't but believe. But the, yeah. the only reason why I do this you know, counterfactual where he is still on the nuggets is because they're, they would just be such a interesting team. Like they, they really could be, I mean, I think that you could be talking about them as near favorites. If he's playing, if even just like halfway between this and what he was last year, you know, a very efficient offense. Well, not always very efficient. You know, he, he hit like 15% from the field the other night. It was just catastrophic for my, um, I ended up still pulling out field goal percentage, which was lucky, but, um, but, you know, he's not always efficient, but he has been for the most part, really efficient this year. Um, and you keep that there, you, you have a, you know, a, a strong other scoring option for when, I don't know, when Jamal Murray isn't, um, isn't playing like um, bubble Jamal Murray, which, you know, <laughs> is infrequently um, during the regular season. He'll be um, back there by the playoffs. Don't worry. He will. I, I have no <laughs> doubt. I mean, I, I, I think that he's one of the most dynamic players in the game. And when he's at the top, um, yeah. you know, yeah. he's Agreed. as good to watch as anybody. But the, the point is just that they needed Jeremy Grant more on defense than what yep. he could offer, uh, you know, on the offensive um, stat sheet. And um, actually most of his value this year has come. Yeah, I shouldn't say that entirely that that most of his value has come on the offensive end um it some of it has he has really good block numbers this year um which but but it is his his like being ranked 12th overall right now is really about increasing his points his rebounds his assists um and uh and having pretty good percentages this year you know the main thing i'm thinking about right now um you know, if we, if we want to like transition to a couple of other fantasy related questions, you know, I mentioned Kawhi being out for seven days before, um, you know, we have uh, COVID affecting a lot of teams, but then we have some other kind of like longer term injuries um, to talk about, you know, Wendell Carter is going to be out four weeks now um, oh. that this, this uh, quad contusion, I think is what it was, is much worse than what they thought it was. Um, okay. And he's going to be out. While you guys were talking, um, I realized I had to do something about that. Um, and so I picked up Thaddeus Young for TJ McConnell. Um, I'm really sad to see McConnell go. Um, McConnell maybe just had the best week that he's going to have all season. I kind of hope so because I don't want to have dropped him and have him continue to play as good as he is right now. But if he does, good for him. Um, but if Thad Young is available in any of your leagues and he just became available in a 14 team league, which may, leads me to believe that he's going to be available in, in, you know, some 12. He's available and almost everywhere. I yeah. Think. <laughs> I think he's going to be really important with Wendell Carter out and I'd be picking him up. And you would be suggesting uh, Young over Gafford, for instance. Um, 
I really like Daniel Gafford. He did not play well in the first game. Um, I, I held Gafford earlier in the season alongside Wendell Carter just because I thought that um, the block numbers that he was getting me were were useful. Um, I do think that it depends on the stat profile that you need. Um, right. You know, Thad Young he's, is going to get he's going to yeah. get you more points. He's probably actually going to get you more rebounds because he's going to play more minutes. Right. Um, he'll get you a smattering of blocks, um, but his real value and it has been for the several years now is in steals. He he just gets sure. he gets when he plays over twenty five minutes, um, he can get you one point five steals a game, and um, it's yeah, kind of been his signature. Yeah. yeah. The only cautionary note with Young for those of you out there, um, if, if if free throw percentage matters to you, you might not want to pick up Thaddeus Young. It's true because he takes a, a fair amount and he, he can take a few. A... And he, yeah, he shoots about 60%, if I'm remembering right. Um, yeah, yeah, Gafford is at 1.2 blocks a game right now. And, and, and not a lot of minutes. I mean, if he's getting 20 minutes. Um... Yeah, if you need blocks, I think Gafford is, is your choice. I almost picked him up for that reason. I yeah. think he's, yeah, he had, ooh, he's got a bunch of games this year with two blocks. And that's yeah, I just saw it. I know there were like five games in a row with two blocks. Um, I've thought that with they, opportunity they, that Gafford could be a serious. He's um, one of the, he's been player. sort of a low key fantasy guy that people have been on just, you know, with minutes with if Wendell Carter didn't develop into the role they thought he might with Donovan and as the new coach, all of that. Um, people were looking to Gafford. Um, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll finally see whether that'll happen. Yeah, we're talking about blocks right now. Um, I have a question for you all. Who is the only non-center in the top 10 in blocks this year? Only non-center in the top 10? Is it Michael Porter Jr.? <laughs> uh, it is no, not. No, he doesn't get enough. I was I was wondering if it was one of oh, your players, Tate. you know. Tate. Nope. Um, the answer is Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins. Wow. What Andrew, is it? Andrew Wiggins has 28 blocks this season. He's averaging 1.6 blocks a game. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I thought I thought you might be trying to name a player who's on your team. Um, no, you don't, you Tate, don't hold Wiggins. He had the, yeah, but yeah. yeah. No, Nerlens Noel is in the top, I guess, fifteen. He's got a, he's got one point six blocks a game, also. With I mean, what, it was it was odd to watch his season sort of disappear in the shadow of Mitchell Robinson when it looked like he was going to be starting. Like that's where Thibs was going with this. Yeah, I thought he was going to be starting too, but it's Nerlens Noel, man. He's going to get steals. He's going to get blocks. Like it doesn't even <laughs> it's, like. It's I'm, true. You like, put him he on had the like court. Five blocks last uh, one game last week. I think against the Warriors, he had like five blocks. Like he's just nice. going to do that, and then he's not going to get a block a game. Then he's going to get two the next one. Like yeah, yeah. You, you know what you're getting with Nerlens Noel. Definitely, definitely. Well, one of the top ten blockers is available on the waiver wire right now in Mark Gasol. You know, he's kind of been available oh, all season. I've been streaming him in our in, in a different league uh, when I need blocks, but his stat lines are one of the saddest things <laughs> to look at uh, all season. I almost pulled a few of them to bring on so I could go, okay, here's the stat line. Two, four, one, zero zero one like that would be a mark gasol line with with you know 25 minutes um it's 
it's remarkable. I was going to look and see, is his plus minus actually good in those? Is he a functional player? It's really odd to look at that stat line and assume he's a good basketball player. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is, He is. I know. That's, <laughs> I mean, I know he is, but I, I can't look at it and be like, yeah, I have confidence in this. Yeah. He's just, he does what he does, you know, like he's wants to move the ball, be kind of the connector piece for better players and get assists, you know, pass guys open on back cuts, things like that, play defense wall up at the basket. But yeah, yeah, he's not really like, I mean, I guess in terms of blocks, as we're saying, he can give you some of those, but otherwise in terms of fantasy, he's not really like going to be collecting a lot of numbers. Yeah. I almost feel as if that block just comes from him being out there that the five on that team has to get a block a game in 20 minutes. It's sort of like Enos Cantor in Portland. Like, yeah, he's getting defensive stats, but they funnel the defense to the drop five. Like, he's going to get some of those defensive stats just because he's there. Yeah, I mean, he is also huge. He's like a huge... (laughs) It helps, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, being a giant human being does help (laughs) with this. So we've been talking about guys breaking out. I can't remember which one of you suggested this, but maybe Jalen, since it's Bam... Yeah, yeah, that was me. I suggested this. He keeps getting better. How does this keep happening? Yeah, and I want to say, I mean, I was going to say maybe I shouldn't use the word breakout given that his real breakout really happened last year and last year in the playoffs. But for it to continue is a pretty great thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is continuing. And I mean, I'll just give you the numbers. He's up from 15.9 points last year to 20.7 points this year. He's up from 69% free throws to 85% free throws this year. That's huge. That's huge in fantasy in the real NBA. And I do think there was like a change um, in the in the time that they had off between the bubble and uh, you know, the end of the season in the bubble, he seemed to change his free throw routine a bit. I think he was bending his knees a little less and it's more of like an arm shot and that seems to be working for him. Um, And so he shot better. He shot free throws better in the playoffs and that seems to have continued here. Um, You know, he's down in total rebounds. His assist numbers are pretty much the same 5.1 last year, 5.4 this year. Um, He's down in steals and down in blocks, but I think some of that maybe has to do with like, a small sample and hopefully that stuff will come back as the rest of their team kind of comes into the league. I mean, comes into the team and they get all their guys back and they have more of a cohesive defensive unit, but the real, the real stats are in his, his shooting percentage. He's up to 60% this year from the field. He was 55% from the field last year and he's up to 60% on twos overall this year. he was 56.4% last year. Um, And how many steals a game for him? I'm just, wondering if there's a is there a down point in his stat line anywhere well he's at uh 0.8 steals and 0.9 blocks so that would those would i guess you'd be disappointed about those based on last year's numbers but right I want to I want to hit on the uh, the shooting percentage. So as I said, he's up to 60 percent this year on all twos, um, which is a really good number. But check this out. He's up to fifty nine point one percent on pull up twos. Bam Adebayo shooting 59.1% on pull-up twos. He's shooting 52% on catch-and-shoot twos, which tells you that he's knocking down his mid-rangers at a ridiculous rate. Like, he's shooting 65.3% from less than 10 feet. The mid-range jump shot is here. That's the shot that everyone wondered whether or not he'd have it, you know, whether or not that was in his bag. And it's here. He's knocking it down. Those numbers you quoted are 15-footers, 17-footers. It's that shot. Yeah, Things. 
yeah things from 10 feet uh and out that's incredible i mean that's better than Kawhi shoots from there and that was how toronto won that championship basically was going to i mean what they weren't pull-ups they were turnarounds mostly but but yeah. same yeah. idea he had he had 41 against the nets on mostly those shots he was facing up against jeff green and deandre jordan you know jab step jab step pull up and knocking it down and they couldn't do anything about it and, i mean isn't this interesting though because this is exactly what analytics tells us shouldn't happen and wouldn't be efficient but clearly it is for this yeah, person, I mean, for this at, player at this rate if you're gonna make <laughs> you're gonna make half of your mid-rangers then by all means <laughs> you know how many it. how many mid-rangers a game are we talking about so let's see it is uh let's see 3.1 uh two-point field goal attempts uh outside of uh all 10 right. feet a game yeah Wow. And th- that's pull-ups. So with, with catch and shoots, he's at uh 4.9. So about, you know, close to five attempts a game. Yeah. Jaylen, I mean, that's fascinating. Jalen, I have another question for you related to your interests. I know Bam, it, Bam is on your hometown Miami heat. So you're paying a lot of attention to him. I know your second team is the Hawks. And I also know that you hold this player on your team. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do a kind of, you know, what is now becoming a, a ritual return to the <laughs> Luka Doncic trade. Um, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, so Deandre Hunter in January is averaging 19.4 points a game. He's averaging 1.2 steals, 1.9 assists, 5.4 rebounds. Those are pretty impressive numbers um, for the afterthought in the uh, Doncic trade. And um, I I wondered if if you're now thinking that the the Hawks got Hunter and Trey Young out of that trade, um, I I still – I wonder if you might just – still prefer to have Doncic um mm-hmm. I think probably for me I'd be like he's you know one of the he has the, the potential to be one of the top 10 best players ever he looks like at this age um mm-hmm. uh but this is you know th- this changes the evaluation for me I didn't see this coming out of Hunter I know you've been watching his stat lines a lot on your team um I, what does this make you think yeah, I mean, sadly, I haven't been watching as many Hawks games this year as I have in the past, but I have caught some of them, and I kind of got the sense, like I was reading a couple articles in the preseason about Hunter and Reddish, and I was, you know, I was high on both of them. As I talked about before, I was actually really more high on Reddish because I think he has a higher upside, but I think it's clear that, like, what DeAndre Hunter does have, which is really good size and strength, is helping him be more consistent um and like the sort of like limited scope of his imagination <laughs> i think on offense you know or his appetite maybe you know reddish will get the ball and he wants to go into like uh his bag of tricks you know he wants to pull out the behind the back moves and the spin moves and he can get a, a little bit out of control sometimes deandre hunter generally plays within himself and he's just gotten better at doing that he's gotten better at muscling his way to the basket he's gotten better you know, shooting, shooting the ball really well. And his defensive numbers are up way up this year. He was at 0.7 steals last year. um, And he's at 0.9 this year. He was at 0.3 blocks last year. He's up to 0.4. So like, I just think the, the defensive impact is like maybe one of the, 
the biggest improvements because I just didn't see him as a defensive playmaker. So if he can average a steal a game, that'll be huge for him because I think that speaks to like a growth in reading the game and like a confidence, you know, having the confidence and aggressiveness to go after those steals, knowing that you're not going to, you're not going to put your team in a bad position by being, you know, out of position and gambling on the play. So, you know, I just think he's been steady. He's been really good. Some people have, uh, you know, posited online that he's been the best Hawks player simply because of his consistency. Um, and yeah, pretty much his numbers are up all around the board. Like there's yeah. no way I could have predicted this. Like I thought he was going to be good, but he's shooting 52% from the field right now. That's he's staggering. Yeah. For a guy shooting that many from threes. Three, shooting 60% on twos. Um, he's up to two assists a game. He's up to 5.8 rebounds a game. You know, he's shooting 86% from the line. Uh, he's up to four free throws, up from 2.3 last year. So, like, he's pretty much doing everything better this season. Um, and, you know, yeah, like, if you have Trey Young, uh, DeAndre Hunter, and John Collins, um, and Clint Capello, who's also playing extremely well, who had a triple-double with blocks recently, like, you know, that's the foundation <laughs> I was playing against right him that now. week, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jalen, and you're, you're right. It was, you know, Cam Reddish um, – you know, as soon as you said it, I, I realized that um, I had the Hawks asset accumulation mixed up. But, you know, you can also just think about it in terms of their strategy, right? When they were trading um, that pick that became Luka Doncic, they were going all in on accumulating as many draft assets as they could get, hopefully as many top 10 picks as they could get to try to get some bites at the apple and get some wins. And it looks like DeAndre Hunter was one of those wins. That pick came Definitely. to them. Um, it was actually a pick that was it was selected he was picked by the clippers um and somehow ended up on the lakers to the pelicans in the ad trade to the hawks as part of some solomon hill trade um and uh but you know part of the same strategy and i know we've talked before that you know we feel good about reddish his development this year hasn't been as pronounced as I thought it might be. Um, yeah. You watch a lot of Hawks games. What are you thinking about him? Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way that I was like looking for, I think more consistency and more just like baseline level of play out of him. You know, I think right now he's still in the sort of flash mode of, of play, you know, he's not shooting the three really well so far this year. Um, he's shooting worse uh, overall from the field and he's missed some games due to injury, but, you know, you just kind of expect it. He shot 33% from three last year. Um, he was really, really, really bad at the beginning of the season. So that 33% is mostly a result of like the final month or two of the season. Um, he's shooting 29% from three this year. So that's not good. He's shooting 29% on more attempts. Also, he's up to 5.2 attempts a game. Um, you know, shooting worse from two slightly is 41% uh, compared to 42% last year. Um, really the only thing he's doing better is he's getting more steals and rebounding the ball more. He's his uptick in scoring is like slight. He's 1.8 points better, but again, we talked about the efficiency problem, so I'm not sure that really matters. So, yeah, I mean, I think the key for Reddish is like play within himself and knock down the three. Like the first skill for him is just the open three. You know, you got to make your spot up threes and then build your, uh, drive and kick game out of that, you know, attacking closeouts. I think, Oftentimes, like he's again, I just think he's more creative than Hunter, but sometimes that creativity kind of gets in the way. Like, I think he should keep it simple as much as possible and, and let the, the flourishes come later on in his career.
but I mean, he is a, a playmaker on defense. He's averaging one point four steals a game. Like he's yeah, he's got hockey, he's yeah. got the juice on on defense. Like you don't want to play with the ball around him. Yeah. Um, now the development in Atlanta has been really interesting. Um, uh, I can't wait to see what happens ultimately with Collins, and then maybe that team starts to take something closer to a final form. Um, but yeah, I think they have to feel pretty good about their improvement. Uh, they have to be, in a sense, ahead of schedule, um, with with especially with the improvement of Hunter there. Uh, another team that's made. Um, that we wanted to talk about that's made some serious changes, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I've watched a couple of those games. I watched both of the games against Cleveland, which were some nice revenge games for Jared Allen. Um, but what do you guys, what I'm more interested in is what do you guys think of how the Nets are sort of coming together as a team? They haven't all three, the big three haven't played together all that much. One's been out or another's been out uh, in different games here, but uh, it is interesting to see them playing together in pairs and at least once, I think, all three together. Yeah, I think they were all three of them were there against both Heat games. Uh, okay. They okay. Heat on Saturday and then I think on Monday. Yeah, those were the games I watched. And uh, what I found most interesting was how I think it's going to be they're going to take a hot hand approach. Um, it really seemed like they did. Um, I Do can't they know. know the hot hand research does not <laughs> hold and is completely wrong? Yeah, well, I think that what they're, I, I think the way that it, that it ends up working out for them, it's not necessarily like what you're saying about that, but it's just that they're, they're still playing relative isolation ball um you know and so what i meant was like when i was watching it really looked like um uh in one of those two games harden really saw that it was Kyrie's night and uh he kind of just stepped back but then um you know interesting thing happened at the end where Kyrie misses a free throw that gives the heat a chance to get back in the game and the next possession the the heat end up missing and the next possession down Harden comes down and gets fouled and he nails both free throws and and um you know it just um I don't know it, it everything to me when you're watching feels so laden with narrative right Right. you 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 feel like you're you almost like feel the press weighing down on your way of watching the game and um and maybe some of that's true or maybe it's a little overblown but it, it really felt like you know Harden had to in that game step back um let Kyrie who has been there longer have his moment in a really crucial you know um fourth quarter um and but then you know when it came down to it Harden's still one of the best free throw shooters in the game one of the um you know i I know i know we've talked seven percent yeah i mean when we're talking about three yeah when we're talking about um his uh clutch stats i know he has you know not like the greatest reputation but i still believe in him you know and i've told you before that like um i think that certain situations unlock potential for for players and i think that this could do it for harden here um and i don't know i just found that to be a an, an interesting moment at the end of that and um you know i i thought kind of like that reversal that um the person sealing the game was harden 
right, and not Kyrie, um, maybe projects for the next time that he's going to be the person who's going to be the hot hand in the fourth quarter. And is, is there any, I guess, feeling out there or or sentiment out there that Irving that Kyrie can't close games because if we're just looking at the stats here and I'm picking one guy to shoot free throws out of those three, it's going to be Kyrie. Kyrie is the best free throw shooter, but is there an issue with him? No, No, I I don't think this was just a situation. This is just a situation where Kyrie happened to miss and Harden happened to get foul and make it. All I was saying was that, you know, it's, it's because there's so there's such, personalities in the league it's hard not to watch everything and kind of feel the narrative that's happening you know around it and and it's sort of swirling and you know that you're contributing to making it but you also know that there's like these winds of like the media narrative behind you that are blowing you forward that you can't you can't really control it right and all i was saying was that that moment when Kyrie had clearly been taking over the fourth quarter but then couldn't seal the deal with that one free throw that would have you know put the game away but then the next possession down harden happens to get fouled and just you know as harden is one of the best free throw shooters in the game walks up to the line just drills them both and it's over right yeah i mean in some sense that's like the best case scenario really because as you pointed out um Kyrie Irving was hot like he was really taking over and he was the driving force for you know the game got close they were up big I think they were up 13 points at one point in the first half and then you know the heat kind of worked their way back in the game and it got close uh, you know as I said Bam was rolling this was the game on Saturday that he had 40 points in but Kyrie hit a bunch of uh, tough clutch buckets in the last couple minutes of the game before he missed a free throw so it's like you know Kyrie's kind of leading the charge then he he falters just a little bit and then you've got the other two great players to pick up the slack but I mean I think what I would say uh, to sort of give a general overview it looks like to me anyways early on that James Harden has just decided that he's going to play like a more traditional point guard role um, and ease himself into the team I don't know if he'll continue to do this for his entire stint in Brooklyn but it certainly looks like he's decided I'm the point guard I'm the Steve Nash figure I'm going to get the other guys going I'm not going to take too many shots um, and that has pretty much been true for, you know, all of the games that he's been in Brooklyn, whether yeah. Kyrie was there or not. And Kyrie is distinctly not doing that. Kyrie is being Kyrie. You know, he's taking his shots. He's scoring points. He's being efficient. You know, he's doing Kyrie things. And so in that sense, it seems like it could work out. I do think there is a certain point right now, I think, in the early games for Harden where he was detracting too much or taking away. He was making himself less of a threat, I think, a bit too much. Um but I don't know whether that is the fact that he's trying to get in shape or whether he's trying to find his rhythm or whatever it is. You know, I think Steve Nash had the quote saying he's trying to get in shape. So I think you will probably, I would have to think we'll probably see a more aggressive James Harden in the future, but I don't, I certainly don't think he's going to be as aggressive obviously as he was uh, in Houston and and just like a quick look up of the numbers. um, His usage rate in Brooklyn is at 25.1%. It was already down from previous years in his couple games in Houston in the eight games in Houston was at 28.8 percent but you can just see um you know there's a drop off from there and then you know the the year before obviously in houston it was 36.3 percent so you can just see pretty plainly in that usage percentage that like 
he's he's playing differently in Brooklyn. I don't know if I have the source right, but I think it, uh, it was KD who was quoted as saying something like he's finding a really nice balance between scoring and setting other guys up. And yeah, like, that's what's going to make that team go. And I'll say, like, I, I want to look this up right now. I think Harden was maybe being too passive in some of the early games. Again, okay. I don't know if that's like him finding a rhythm or I what. I mean, he had a ton of assists in those early games. Yeah, he did. He did. And I think his connection with – um, with um, why am I blanking on this dude's name? The shooter. Um, Joe, Joe Harris? Harris. Yeah. It, his connection with Joe eminently Harris. forgettable. <laughs> Joe Harris is the he looks like the YMCA player, like he's just gonna right? go. He's like, we need a fifth guy. We need a fifth. Yeah, guy. yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's then Woody Harrelson shows up, he's and, cashing yeah. threes everywhere. But right. his connection with Joe Harris, I think, has been really good. Like they're running pick and rolls with those two, and Harris is slipping out of them a lot for open threes. And so, you know, Harden's willingness to to play in those situations, pass out of those situations, has been great. So I think that'll, you know, that'll be a boon for Joe Harris, as we talked about. And just yeah. one last thing yeah. on this, I think. I was watching, I was rewatching games uh, before we did the pod. And as I said, Harden was being a bit passive in these games. He only had 12 points in that first Brooklyn Miami game. But then uh, the, the second Brooklyn Miami game, it looked like he had more bounce, looked like he had more juice. And this is certainly a balance, I think, of passing and assisting that you want. Harden had 20 points. He was seven of 10 from the field, three of five from three, three of five from the free throw line, eight assists, one steal, one block, three turnovers. Uh, he had a game score of 20.5. Like he's just, yeah. if he's going to do that, if he's going to efficiently score 20 points and have <laughs> a 10 shots, yeah, <laughs> you have nothing to complain about. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, they, they've been interesting to watch. Did you, did either of you catch the games against Cleveland? Uh, the Nets games against Cleveland? I'm just curious. I didn't No, They had the, the first one was that double overtime win. And I just like, uh, uh, the talk about Kyrie Irving just made me think of it because Colin Sexton seemed to become Kyrie Irving <laughs> in, in that, those two overtimes with Kyrie Irving in his face, he seemed to have lifted his game from him and taken it. And it was like, you could, it was wonderful just to see Colin Sexton sort of showing out in that setting going like, Hey, no, you got to pay attention to me too. Um, and just seeing the Cavs as a team do that in a way I had never seen them do before. So that may, the, 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 the Nets trade with Cleveland may lead me to somehow Cleveland being a team I can root for built from the ground up through trades without the free agency, et cetera, et cetera. I hate to think of it that way because Dan Gilbert, but they're fun to watch. Yeah, no, I mean, as we know, I don't really care about the like whether you you're homegrown or yeah, you're built know, not bought. Like, I'm not with this. Like, it's, it's an that's old a, man, old school thing. I yeah, can't yeah. help it. Like, I'm stuck with it. Yeah, that's a that's a larger <laughs> conversation for another time. But I think I did want to say. I'm rooting for the Nets this year. Like, as you talked about, Kyle, it's really hard to parse and separate the media narrative uh, from like what's reality and what's actually happening on the floor and how the people on the team actually feel about each other. So it feels like everyone for weird, maybe not weird, just for different reasons, wants the, the Nets to fail and wants to sort of laugh at the schadenfreude of it all. Um, Jalen, your Miami Heat aren't even in the playoff picture right now. How are you rooting for the Nets? 
I mean, well, like, I mean, rooting I can't... for the Nets is an indulgence that you have when your team is already locked <laughs> into a playoff spot. I mean, um, unless have, have your Heat... unless your team, like mine, is the number one overall seed right now, the the Sixers, um, and you can't root for the Nets because you want them to, well, I don't know, just like not be, be out of the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is, when the Nets are not playing the Heat, I can root for them. When they're not playing like the Heat or the Warriors, I can root for them. And then, I mean, the the Heat have Jaylen, to win. You just jump we, from the Warriors we, to the Nets. Have, I mean, like this is just getting like unseemly. I'm not. I'm is not rooting for them like I root for Steph Curry. I'm just saying I don't want to be the person who's like I want the Nets to fail. I don't want to be on that train. I'm just saying I want good things to happen to Kyrie. Oh, I want the Nets to fail, but it's mostly because I want the Sixers to beat them. I mean, I have no feelings about the Sixers. Like, this is the thing. If you watch, I'm from Miami. If you watch sports and you're in Miami and you're not used to having teams in the playoffs, that means you got to pick a team to root for every time you're watching someone play in the playoffs. So, like, I'm just saying, in that scenario, I'll probably be picking the Nets unless I have further allegiances, deeper allegiances. Well, right. Who else could other. you pick? Like, who else could it be in the East? I mean, like, I just the Bucks, the Bucks don't do it for me. The Pacers yeah. are nice, but like, whatever. The Hawks aren't going to be that good, so like, obviously, they're not going. I'm not going to be able to root for them that long in the playoffs. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's just like Heat, Nets, and Hornets, but they're not. They might not even make the playoffs. So yeah. So I know we need to get going, um, but I want to pitch one one question to you here. Um, a, a, I'm asking for a projection, uh, Paul George. Kawhi Leonard, Patrick Beverly, all out, all out for like seven days. And yet going here toward the end of the first half, the Clippers are up 39 to 36 up. The the, the Hawks just made a three pointer. So it's tied 39 to 39. So maybe an even better question um, with three minutes and 15 seconds left in the second. Um, can the Clippers pull it out? So shorthanded. Um, and if they do, Jalen, um, are you worried for your Hawks? Yeah, I mean, I think the to answer the second question is I am worried for the Hawks because I saw the Bulls beat the Hornets and I was like, are the Bulls better than the Hawks? Like the Bulls have a lot of adults in the room um, <laughs> and they put on like a clinic of passing and just like unselfish play and team play uh, in that game against the Hornets. Now they were playing the Hornets. So it's sort of like on like in terms of the bottom of the East um, and they lost to the Celtics. I think the game after that, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely a game the Hawks have to win. The Hawks have beaten up on bad teams. I think, for most of the year, I don't think they have an especially hard schedule. And I think they've lost to the better teams. They had the one win over the nets, but mostly I think they've lost to better teams. Pretty sure they're playing the Lakers soon. That's not going to go well for them. So yeah, they've got to figure it out and they've got to figure out how to take some games from good teams. Um, and just a just a final thing on the, on the bulls, Zach Levine had a really cool play in that Hornets game that I was watching. He, he caught fire a bit and he, I think they ran a pick and roll and the help defender was kind of leaning over from, from the slot, whoever he was guarding on the slot. It, and Levine kind of waited and timed his drive until the very second that uh, it was Terry Rozier, that Terry Rozier retreated back to his man on the wing. 
And it was just really cool to see him kind of set it up. Like you could tell that he knew exactly what he was doing. He was just waiting until Rogier took a step in the opposite direction to his man. And then Levine hit the jets, got all the way to the rim. And I think scored or dished it out to the corner for three. So I don't know. I was watching that game because the Hornets are a lot of fun to watch, but in watching that game, I was like, Oh wow. Like if the bulls play this way all year, I could see them winding up in the play in somewhere. And one of the biggest things I've noticed about the Bulls is that um, Kobe White has not been playing particularly well, and I have much higher expectations for him. And, you know, if he comes around, I think that they could really have some scoring punch. Yeah, and we, we have should a talk few about guys. Zach Levine another time. Yeah, I mean, Chicago has a few guys who have underperformed a bit. You know, we know, uh, as we discussed earlier, Carter went down with the injury. Um, you know, he was getting better this season. It looked like it was coming together for him, too. So they have a few guys that that happens for. Chicago's all of a sudden a very good team. And one of our favorite listeners, David Smook, is a very happy person. So, um, yeah. And John Krylin. All right. We, yeah, we've so got we a number of Bulls fans uh, <laughs> in our orbit. Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to see. It's not clear what is going to happen with the playoff picture this year at this point. There's a lot of unexpected teams um, in the playoffs and not in the playoffs. And we will come back next week, week seven, to talk more about that. This is this week's Shot Tower Pod. We are turning off the phantom power. Cheers.